when human beings are activated by fight, flight, boredom, loneliness, sadness, shame, grief, anger, when we are activated, what we do is we seek out other people to express our emotions and in eye contact and in being seen by the other and in hearing, their hearing our tone of voice, our taking in their body language, our feeling seen, we actually deactivate the level of emotional activation to the point we can work constructively with the emotion. Now, if we were another species, we wouldn't need to do this. Squirrels, when they're activated, can deactivate their sympathetic nervous systems by scampering up a tree. Other species, like uh, birds, can fly. And when they reach a perch, they can deactivate their fight, flight, freeze, anger uh, activations. Human beings need to connect with another person, get honest, reveal their emotional states, and need to be in that bouncing off experience where we make eye contact, we get vulnerable, and it has many effects, attachment. Our immune system only works at optimal functioning, producing T cells and white blood cells when we are in meaningful social connection. Alan Shore has shown in studies that brain development in children depends on secure attachment. Attachment neurobiology, I can't remember the exact title, but they go into all of the effects that being securely seen interacting with other human beings provides. But perhaps one of the most important things that uh, connection with another person where we are emotionally authentic, seen, and where that person mirrors our emotions back without trying to fix, solve, or tell us what to do. They just listen and with their facial expression, with their body language, take us in and make us feel understood, is that it creates what's called a secure base. A secure base is of fundamental importance in human life. A secure base is the sense that there are people out there who, if we become emotionally activated, if we become filled with fear or sadness or loneliness or extreme uh, shame or guilt or whatever strong emotions we might feel, it's the knowledge that there are people who will be there that will understand and will create a sympathetic, empathetic reception and help us process those feelings. Now this is important. What I'm going to say right next is if you don't listen to any other part, if you're overheated, if you're tired, just take this one bit of information in and you'll come away with something I think that's worthwhile. Human beings only explore the world with confidence and only take risks if they feel there's a secure base in their life. Why is that? Because we are not scared of situations, we're scared of the feelings that situations activate in us. It's not the feeling of being on stage that causes stage fright and social anxiety. It's the fear of the feelings of being on stage, the feeling of being vulnerable, worried that other people won't like us, worried that we'll be unlovable. So 
what people avoid are not so much situations, they avoid the feelings, the emotions that situations evoke. So we can go into difficult situations in life if we understand in a deeply emotionally core way that there will be people there who will support us. If I know that there are people in my life that will support me and help me feel normalized, okay, then I can take risks, I can travel on my own, I can explore different kinds of job opportunities, I could do all kinds of things, but if I put, if I feel that my core self is at risk, is vulnerable, and I don't believe there are other people to help switch me off, deactivate the emotions that might be activated, then I will avoid the risk. There's fascinating studies that show that when children feel they have a secure base with parents or with other kids, they are willing to take all kinds of risks that other kids who are more prepared, more skilled, have more academic backgrounds will not take if they don't believe their parents, when they get home, will support them and help them process emotions associated with failure or disappointment. So what causes a lack of confidence in our life is not so much the endeavors that, of, for instance, trying out a new creative skill, performing, traveling on one's own, stating one's needs in a relationship, being able to leave a job that's well-paying for a job that's riskier. All of these notorious areas where people have crisis and confidence. In my experience of counseling, what allows people to move with confidence into these areas is not so much what they generally do. Generally what they'll do is expect that if I prepare, if I rehearse, if I repeat my lines over and over and over again, and if I really know everything down cold, then I'll be able to do it. And people still, after all that preparation and all that rehearsal, will still procrastinate, stall, not put that resume together, not submit their art, not audition for the role, not try to get into the band. It's not because they're not ready. It's not because they're not capable. It's not because they don't know what they're doing. It's because they don't believe that if they fail and they feel upset or ashamed or embarrassed, that there'll be someone in their life that will be there to comfort them and switch that off. I see this in my work over and over again. I was talking with a very, very, very famous comedian. This kind of, we, we know each other because we're both sober for a long time, and uh, this person, if you want to figure out who he is, he's, uh, I can't give away his name, but if he's got probably the most famous podcast in comedy. So anyway, he was saying that he noticed over his experience of seeing thousands of comedians, the comedians that, survive, that succeed were not by any means the funniest. And they weren't the ones that were the best prepared. They were the ones, he noticed, that kept 
coming back again and again and again, no matter how many times they got booed or people would talk over them or not listen. They were the people who had resilience. And then he said, you know, it's funny. I've noticed that all of those people generally, even though they felt they had to perform for love in their family, they knew that their family would give them lots of love and attention if they tried, if they got on stage and they tried. It was this fundamental, he had like stumbled upon the importance of a secure base uh, just by observing which comedians were the ones that kept coming back. Now, John Bowlby said, people from cradle to grave are only confident when they organize their lives as a series of excursions to and from a secure base where there are people there that will deactivate them. I prefer to use the more contemporary version of this. It goes like following. You might have heard this before. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. <laughs> Taking a break from all your worries sure would mean a lot. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and you're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Actually, you don't have to dig too far into those lines to see that, on a very clear way, they're referring to a secure base. The line, you want to go where you can see our troubles are all the same, is the exact same thing that happens when there's a secure base in our life and our parents normalize our feelings. That's the key thing that regulates down painful emotions. When you're lonely or sad or ashamed or guilty or embarrassed about something, if you feel that you're alone, that nobody understands those feelings, those emotional states will become excruciating. But if somebody goes, oh yeah, I've had that too. I know what that's like. And they convey that. And you can see that you're not alone with that feeling. Then the pain almost miraculously gets carved in half. The Buddha, in the first two noble truths, said the first noble truth is that bad shit's going to happen in life. It's going to cause a lot of emotional pain. But the second noble truth is if you don't take it personally and act as if it's happening to you, and instead you share about it, talk about it, connect with other people with, about it, then it becomes bearable. So what creates the great suffering is holding our emotions by ourselves, not expressing it, not getting our emotions regulated. When we do do that, we can move into the world with confidence. So there's two strategies to developing confidence. One is to develop, find a secure base. Now guess what? In 50% of human beings, that secure base will not be your family. Sorry. 50% grow up in insecure family arrangements. I, with my dad, sorry, no secure base at all. Nothing I did was good enough. So, yes, half of us have to do the arduous task of finding a different secure base and establishing it through vulnerably reaching out to other human beings who will be supportive and who will give us unconditional empathy and naturalize our emotions. The one thing we don't want to do is what's called going to the hardware store for orange juice. 
That means going again and again to our family systems, to mom and dad and sis, and saying, hey, I know you from our countless emotional experiences in the past cannot be supportive, but just this time, can't you change? Can't you give me the love that I deserve and support me and switch off my embarrassment, loneliness, and they will go, sorry. And then we can either stay in that repetition compulsion or we can actually set our determination to find other people. Fortunately, in our culture, there are now countless 12-step groups. There are therapeutic groups. There are other areas where we can meet other people who can provide a secure base for us. So our job is not to keep going back to the people who cannot be empathetic, who cannot normalize our emotions. Our job is, if we didn't get that, to find people who will. The questions that we would ask are, one, do they return my messages reliably? Do they mirror my emotions, or do they simply try to tell me everything will be okay and solve everything by giving me quick fixes? What we want is somebody who mirrors. They listen, they don't tell us what to do. At first they just listen and they create a safe container for us to express the feelings. Do they listen attentively or do they get bored and start to stonewall, look away? Do they reflect back our view with understanding? Do they wait to offer suggestions until we ask? For them. Those are the signs of a secure base. That's when you know you found someone to <laughs> latch onto and, and really rely on them. The second way we can develop confidence uh, is to develop what's called distress tolerance. Distress tolerance works by the very simple idea that, again, people don't so much avoid situations as they avoid situations that create difficult feelings. So if you can learn to hold the difficult feelings, that being on stage, stating your needs, traveling alone, trying a different career, if you can learn to hold those emotions that are evoked by vulnerability, then you'll find that you can move into scary endeavors with a great deal of confidence. Because we're only avoiding really the feelings, not the situations. This is a big deal in therapies such as DBT and other uh, cognitive schools. And essentially what it means is in their practices, they encourage self-soothing. When you go into a difficult situation, reward yourself, change the self-talk, create a, a way that you can be with the feelings. Uh, sometimes they'll even talk about positive distractions when you start to feel uh, negative inner voices, visualize somebody who's a friend who, and what they would say. So create a way to be with the painful negative feelings that are activated when we take risks. Now I'm going to talk about some of the Buddhist approaches and I think they're a little bit, in this case, more useful uh, in terms of how we can do it. I'm going to lead a meditation where we'll actually put it into practice. So the Buddha said that confidence, sada, is the absolute most important uh, step in 
are moving into a life where we embrace happiness. He put sada as the absolute fundamental. And he said that it's so important because the most, uh, the most enduring hindrance, the thing that is an obstacle to human happiness, he said, was vichikicha, which was in his time lack of confidence, self-doubt, the belief that there's something about me that can't be happy, that can't find peace of mind, that can't find a relationship, that can't be happy, that can't succeed in the world, that can't be lovable. And so he spent a lot of time talking about tools. But he kept going back to this two core ideas. One which was to address lack of confidence. He said, one, sati, which is the ability to hold and be with every internal state of being that we have without resisting, pushing away, judging, evaluating, just the ability to be with our feelings. And number two was Kalyanamita, which is the Buddha's word for a secure base. Wise, compassionate, spiritual friends. I'll give you an example. In the Avijja Sutta, the Buddha says, lack of confidence in one's ability, asada, is conditioned by two things. One is asati, lack of awareness of one's internal feelings and states, and two, asa purisa, which is lack of connection with secure people. So I think he's pretty straightforwardly stating the same thing. In another sutta, the Sambodhi Sutta, he says, if anyone should ask you what are the prerequisites for self-awakening, you should answer, admirable friends. They are the prerequisite for the development of awakening. He defines a friend in eerily similar terms to the way we've defined it as a secure base. He says a, a secure wise friend is someone who's willing to give their attention unconditionally, endures your poorly chosen words, shares their secrets with you while keeping your secrets safe. In bad times they don't abandon you, nor do they look down on you when you make mistakes. Sati is building distress and tolerance by through meditation at first, and then we move it into the rest of our lives. We become aware of first the breath, then the feelings in the body, then areas of tension, and finally the jumpiness or settledness of the mind itself. These are the first three foundations. When we can give unconditional positive regard to our inner feelings, our emotions, our state of attention, by simply observing without any judgment, what we're doing is giving ourselves the same empathy and love that we needed from a secure base. We're doing that internally. So I'm going to end this meditation develop this two ways. I'm going to lead you through a sati, practice of internal awareness, and then I'm going to lead you through an inner child dialogue where we're going to connect with that part of ourselves that was most wounded in the past when we were taking risks. And we're going to reassure that inner child that we'll be okay. That we're going to learn how to develop a dialogue between our current self, that's adults that have capabilities, that have 
uh, support in the world, and that inner vulnerable part that's part of the timeless emotional circuits of the brain. And when we do that, I think you'll find that if you use these tools, you'll be able to address situations that previously created a great deal of trepidation, uh, stalling, and procrastination. So thanks for listening, especially in this super hot room. I hope that as we do the meditation, it will be worth uh, your patience. So find the most comfortable position. If you're exhausted and you want to lean against the wall or lie down, feel free. Just closing the eyes. Or if you feel you might fall asleep and you want to keep your eyes open, just look at the ground or look up at the ceiling. If you're lying on your back, a simple technique so that you stay relaxed but don't fall asleep is hold one hand over your chest, like it's hovering like about four inches over your chest, like so if you want to take a look. And then what happens is if you fall asleep, you hit yourself in the head. <laughs> this is actually a technique I learned in the forests of Thailand, so uh, it actually works pretty well. I meditate uh, at least once a week on my back and I always do this technique. So just hold a hand over your chest and uh, that'll be comfortable, but it'll keep you from falling asleep, hopefully. Um, if you do another technique, if you find yourself really tired, is open your eyes when you breathe out or hold your breath when you breathe in. So we're going to start out with a few deep breaths. Take a full in-breath through your nose and lift up your shoulders like you're trying to touch your ears and hold them up there. And then as you breathe out, drop the shoulders and like they weigh two tons. And then for a second in-breath, tighten the belly, hold the belly in, and then breathe out and soften the belly. And then for the third in-breath, squinch the muscles in the face. Tight, 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 squinched muscles, squinch, and then breathe out, soften the muscles, relax the jaw, the, relax the micro muscles around the eyes, the forehead, and so there's two practices we could start out with tonight. We could start out with a concentration meditation on the breath. So if you want to do that, just find the areas in your body where the breath is most clearly discernible. With some people, it's the tip of the nose. With other people, it's the chest expanding and contraction, contracting or the belly doing the same. If you're working with the breath, Simply count one on the in-breath, two on the out-breath, three on the next inhalation, four on the next exhalation, and then when we get to the next inhalation, which is five, start counting back down. Four on the out, three on the in-breath, two on the out. So we're counting from one to five and back down with one, three, and five, always on the in-breath. 
try to make the even numbers, the out-breath, as long and smooth as possible, which helps relax. On the other hand, if you're very tired, try to take full deep in-breaths and hold it for several beats longer before you exhale. And when you exhale, open one eye, take in the light, and then close it. If you don't want to work with the breath as your primary concentration object, that's fine. What we could also do, there are many other practices, but for tonight, you might want to work with a spacious mind practice. And that means simply fill up your awareness with every single sensation that's actually occurring right now. So hearing the sounds emanating from the street, feeling the contact with the cushion, feeling the clothes on the body, any sweat rolling down the skin, noticing the lights flickering behind closed eyelids. You can even become aware of the sensations of comfort and discomfort running along the front of the body, the throat, the chest, the belly. These are the nerves known as the vagal vagus nerve, and they're the nerves that express our emotional state, not only in the face, but down the front of the body. So if you'd like to get a sense of the emotional tone to see how that area feels. You can become aware also of the state of attention. Is your mind settled? Does it feel tired? Does your mind feel jumpy and distracted? Does the mind feel expansive or very contracted? Do you feel sad, happy? Somewhat numb, angry, frustrated? What's the emotional tone of the present moment? There's no right or wrong. There's absolutely no wrong emotion. There's no wrong feeling. There's no wrong quality of breath. There's no wrong body.
if a thought comes around, you don't have to push it away. You just keep all the other sensations present in your awareness. You just allow the thought to be wandering around the stage. So long as it doesn't essentially lure you away from the present time experience and pull you into a virtual reality constructed entirely of memories or plans or fantasies that are not actually occurring, it's all okay. But if a thought does pull you away, the moment you become aware of it, just gently step off that train of thought and feel good about your practice. There's no role for frustration or criticism or self-judgment. Impatience has no role. Just feel good about developing awareness. Just as useful learning how to relate to the experience of being distracted. Gently pull your awareness back, feeling good about your endeavor, and if you want to do anything else, just note what kind of thought was very alluring. Just make a note that you'll think about that issue later on, but that you won't think about it now.
So at this time, take a sense of how your body feels and your basic emotional state at this moment. So for instance, does your breath feel shallow or full? Are the out-breaths long or short? Are your shoulders tight and contracted or released? Is your belly soft or is it somewhat contracted? Is your jaw locked or released? Does the muscles in the forehead feel relaxed? Just get a general sense of the quality of the body and then just the front of the body where we feel emotions, the facial expressions, the the feeling of the hollow chest, or the lump in the throat. Do these areas feel relaxed and comfortable or do you feel kind of emotional presence? Is the mind jumpy or settled? Are the eyes jumpy or relaxed? Are you tired or very alert? And that's just a baseline setting of how we're feeling right now. Again, there's no right or wrong answer at all. Just what we're experiencing. So bring to mind a visual that represents a situation that often feels very uncomfortable, where you don't feel confident. It could be a large social gathering, having to speak up at some kind of meeting, having to state your needs in a relationship, or having to express to someone in a family our disappointment. It could be traveling alone. It could be presenting to other people our artwork. Or the permission to audition or try out a new artistic area of our life. Just visualize whatever comes to mind that activates lack of confidence, perhaps mixed with the fear of embarrassment or not doing well. And as you visualize this loaded situation, let's become aware once again of the feelings. Does the stomach become slightly tighter or the shoulders become more locked? Does the breath change? Do you feel a lump in your throat or do your eyes start to bounce slightly about more? Can you feel the underlying quality of anxiety that's associated with taking risks in life? If you can't, visualize something else that's even more triggering. 
see if you can find some imaginary or real scenario that's somewhat the right combination of vulnerable and risky so you begin to feel some slight change in the body or breath or the mind. And then instead of pushing this anxiety away, what we're going to do is befriend it, give it unconditional positive acceptance. Simply observe and be with the anxiety. Don't try to get rid of it. If we can be with the anxiety, hold it, befriend it, relax around it, then we can go into those situations that evoke anxiety. Just observe, and if the anxiety starts to fade, bring up another area in your life where you struggle with confidence, a situation at work, your creative life, your friendships, your relationships. What makes you doubt or expect the worst? What situations? Visualize it. And then see if you can be friend the anxiety that these situations evoke. Soften around the feelings of anxiety. If you feel the anxiety in your throat or the chest, relax the arms, the legs, the belly. Longer out-breaths. If you feel the anxiety in your head, in the eyes, in the breath, then relax the body beneath it. Relax the shoulders, the belly, the legs. Try to create a safe container to be with anxiety. So at this point, allow your mind to drift back further in time to other situations in your life previously when you were younger that were scary. The times we were dropped off at a new school, the times when we first started to perform, the times when we first lived alone, the times when we first started dating. Visualize yourself at an age where you felt vulnerable and not supported enough, where there wasn't enough love. Visualize that younger version. 
and just hold the image of yourself at that vulnerable time with so much empathy and kindness, just extending the feelings of love and care. Visualizing yourself at a time when you needed compassion and didn't receive it. When you needed support and felt anything but. And if you can, don't overthink it, just visualize that version of yourself and finally say to this younger part, still very present in your emotional mind, still very much there, words along the following, whichever words that are most true for you, I say something along the lines of, I know you're worried, I know you've been rejected, I know you've been abandoned, I know you didn't deserve to be shamed, I won't let that happen again. I won't try to be perfect. I won't try to meet anyone else's standards. I'll be gentle with you. I'll take care of us and I'll make you feel safer no matter how we do in the world. I'll take care of you. Just offering that child this sense of security and love. I won't let that abandonment happen again. I'll take care of you. Just visualize this part of yourself that so needs to feel unconditional support. gently let go of that image, just returning to all the sensations that are present, feeling the heat, the sweat, hearing the sounds of the street, Reminding ourselves that we've been doing something that's utterly blameless and virtuous. In our practice, we don't exploit anyone. We don't harm anyone. We don't consume the world's resources. All we're doing is cultivating peace through self-compassion and kindness. What more skillful activity could there be? So whenever you're ready to 
begin the process of ending the meditation, moving into the next part of the evening where we'll find, we'll conclude with the questions. Before you open your eyes and look around, just look at the ground in front of you and see if you can integrate sight into this embodied awareness. Sight is a very rich sense, and if we simply look around the room, we'll very quickly lose connection with the feelings, the internal awareness we've cultivated. <laughs> 